1: That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd. I'm your host today, Jessica Kesselman, and I am so excited to be joined by uh, a dear friend of mine, And a community favorite, Joe Prince. He is the owner of Divine Bar and Grape Divine. Grape Divine is a wine shop, a pretty dynamic one, in Spark Hill, New York. And it has got quite a following, and there is a reason for it. And the reason is Joe himself and his staff and the incredible selection of wines he has. The reason I asked Joe here is because Joe and I have kind of struck up a partnership of wine and cheese pairing, uh, events. And, um, you know, when I started in cheese, I thought, I thought I learned enough (laughs) about wine and cheese pairings through teaching and learning from some great folks. And when Joe and I started doing these events together, I was introduced to a whole array of pairings I never would have thought of. And since we're in that funky time between Thanksgiving and New Year's, I thought it would be a great time to talk about wine and cheese pairings and kind of take it off the rails a little bit. So I want to welcome Joe to Cutting the Curd.
3: Thank you, Jessica. (laughs) Thank you for having me.
2: And uh, so I just want to um, talk a little bit about... um, about your background and like how we got to this place of wine and cheese, how you uh, came from a background in food, and how it influences your role as a an influencer to a lot of palates when it comes to uh, wine and spirits.
3: I started <clears throat> cooking. Uh... Prepping vegetables, actually, at age 14 in New York City for society's number one caterer when I was a, essentially a boy, um, and I got to go to the to famous homes of people uh, as I was growing up, and catering to Jackie Onassis's birthday party and uh, you know a variety of celebrities' homes. Um, I was privy to a lot of things that a lot of people have never seen before, and I thought, wow, this is a very interesting, fascinating career to cater. A thousand people at the New York State Theater at age 16. I was, you know, obviously just, you know, a a very small player in that whole role, but um, I thought this is fascinating. I really love cooking. And when it came time to go to culinary school when I was 18, I I jumped in there with both feet. I loved every minute of it. So that was, um, that started me off when I was quite young. And when I finished, I I started to work for another caterer in Manhattan who I had known uh, when I was 16 years old uh, in the business. So I worked for her for a number of years. Then I um, left to work with Glorious Food in in Washington, D.C. and did Ronald Reagan's inaugural luncheon in 1985. Uh, And then I stayed on and met a a gentleman who was interested in cooking, uh, opening a restaurant and, and, and needing a chef. So that was, uh, that was me in 1985. And I had uh, a number of restaurants since then. I was uh, written up in the Washington Post many times. Um, and I love cooking and it's, it's, it's in my blood. Uh, my parents, my dad, uh, on Saturday mornings, he would, uh, cook, but both of my parents worked and, uh, on Saturday mornings is the time I got to spend the most time with both of my parents and my dad and I cooked in the kitchen all the time. So I always equated food with love and being with family from, a, from an early age. And um, when I turned 40 or so, I, I just ran out of gas. You know, you, you do that as a chef. You just don't have enough energy any longer. And then I opened my wine store in 2002. And here we are almost 20 years later.
2: So making the leap from food to wine, uh, you and I have talked a lot, uh, you know, over the time we've known each other about tastes and flavors um, and how they can influence each other, wine and and food. Um, So what what for you is exciting about pairings and what what do you have any kind of standard guidelines or do you just kind of throw passion to the wind (laughs) what what's your approach to that someone walks in and says oh i'm having such and such for dinner can you tell me what wine i should
3: well that always makes me so happy to hear that because that's kind of where i excel in my mind at least when people come in and say i'm gonna have a pasta with red sauce or i'm gonna have a tenderloin i'm gonna have a, a you know a steak burned up on the grill or i'm gonna have lamb from experience and doing this for 20 years and having been a chef, I really understand how all those flavors and the complexities of the wine um, go really well with that food that you're chewing in your mouth and swallowing, you know, uh, not at the same time, but sometimes at the same time. Um, But I do love that opportunity to show off. And you know, at the end of the day, it's very subjective. Right. And I do um, think people trust me at this point um, because they come back very often and they say, boy, that, that lamb pairing with the Chateauneuf-du-Pape or that lamb pairing with that Cote d'Auron was absolutely great. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's interesting here in the store, I always try to find a wine that over delivers for the money. I always try to find something that, you know, why drink a $50 bottle if you can find one that, you know, for $15 that, that drinks like that. So mm-hmm. always on the hunt for that. And I, that I've always been that way. I've always tried to find... Some value, when I first opened in 2002, there was nothing in the store, more than $20 on the shelf for about six or eight months. And then a lot of customers came in and said, suppose I'd like to have uh, you know, something more expensive. Bill Murray from one asked me if I wanted to, you know, if, if he wanted to get a, a Montrachet or something. And I, and I was like, okay, I, I'll, I guess I have to expand now. Mm-hmm. But I, <clears throat> I, I love the opportunity to put the food and the wine together because I think I understand, you know, the difference between a Bordeaux and a California Cabernet, especially when it comes to steak on the grill. You know, a Bordeaux is typically a little bit too pulled back uh, and it'll be overwhelmed by, you know, a burned up steak on the grill, Uh, but it goes beautifully with a tenderloin of beef. So you understand the little nuances of the flavors.
2: And that that actually, even though you're talking about red meat, it applies to cheese. I mean, sometimes we describe cheeses as being meaty. Sometimes we talk about cheese using a lot of the same descriptors that we talk about any other type of food. We'll talk about it being vegetal. We'll talk about it being mushroomy. We'll talk about it being herbaceous or yeasty. So um, a lot of those rules can apply. And I should point out for people, when I mentioned Spark Hill, New York, I doubt it. many people know where that is. Um, it's this little town, village, part of Orangetown, New York and Rockland County. But we're really close to Manhattan and we're just over the border with New Jersey. And it's um, a little bit off the radar, but because of its proximity to the city and to other metropolitan areas, um, the pallets here can be a little bit more.
3: Discerning. Discerning,
2: yeah. and confidence of
3: of, of wealthy people who have have traveled and they know their food and they know their wine. And then there are locals who are just learning about it all and everybody is welcome.
2: And I would say even among the locals, some of them come from families with long traditions of traditional Italian, you know, particularly Italian um, uh, cuisine or customs, traditions. I know my family, my husband's family, my in-laws, you know they—they've been here for a couple generations from Italy, and they still drink the. You know they grew up. Their their parents, their grandparents, grew up drinking certain wines and eating certain foods and eating certain certain cheeses, and those persist. Um, so. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the um, reasons that I am so excited to have you is to talk about holiday forward um cheese and wine pairings and it's not as if people are going to sit around at a holiday party um specifically eating the cheese and wine the way we would in a formal class but there are opportunities to just you know for the wow factor make people really excited about what they're eating what they're drinking and um and so I thought we could just go through a few pairings um suggestions you know we can do general we can do more specific Um, but I did want to start off with one, um, that one of these pairings that kind of made me think differently about wine and cheese. So when I first started in the cheese game, you know, and we would, I would teach these like, you know, wine and cheese 101 kind of classes, I was always (laughs) taught, (laughs) that Chardonnays were a no-no with pairing cheese, that the whole thing would just be too flabby, too buttery. Um, The Chardonnay just didn't have enough acidity to cut through the fat of cheese, that um, it would all just be kind of flat. And to to lean more towards Sauvignon Blancs, things a little bit more citrusy, a little bit, you know, more minerality. And so I just, I just like gave the big X with my fingers whenever somebody said, um, Chardonnay and we have a couple of times done events and you have paired a nice cheese early on in, in our progression. So we, you know, we start with the mild, we start with the goat, we start with something bloomy, maybe a double or triple cream. And there you come walking along with the Chardonnay and I you know, I just—I was. You didn't it. give it
3: any credit at all. I know, but 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 Chardonnay comes in so many forms. Uh, when when again, when I first start in this business, you go for the obvious big flavors and the things that really kind of attack your palate, and you're like, "Wow, I love oaky, I love buttery Chardonnay." Until you don't. Until you've had your first Burgundy. Until you've had your first. Uh, Marche or your first, um, um, entry-level, entry-level Burgoyne is also an unbelievably delicious wine and it has attack. It has acidity. It has, uh, you know, know, all you wine folks out there who get this, you really do understand that it's a very different, um, animal altogether. It's like creamy lime peel. It, um, but it has a lot more attack and more minerality in the back end and it just lasts and lasts and lasts. And I think for pairing with cheese, that that, that's a really easy wine to, to pull, put together with, with a goat, especially, you know, all kinds of goat because uh, the more acidic in the back end, um, the more it'll cut through all the fat and you really, the two of them pair so nicely together. I, I make a goat cheese, um, French toast at home, you know, for brunch occasionally. And I'll either open a nice champagne uh, with it, which is, again, for the most part, white burgundy with sparkles, you know, because when I look for champagne flavors, I also like to find champagne that drinks like white burgundy with a beautiful little, you know, tiny little bubble to it. So that's a great combination. And that's a, that's, that's a, that's a staple. Right. What, What do you think of this?
2: So when, when he said, what do you think of this?
3: <laughs>
2: we are sitting together in person across the table from each other. And this is the first interview since I started on Cutting the Curd that I'm doing in person because COVID. So um, we're, we're sitting here drinking wine and we are in, in front of a... Cutting the curd. And yeah, we're cutting the curd. We're, we're sitting in front of a cheese plate. Um, and this that he's pointing at is not a Chardonnay, but uh, it's, it's it's really tasty. really
3: juicy, um, varietally correct Grenache from Spain, but it's not one of those super high alcohol, you know, big attack wines. This has really got lots of flavor and like, isn't it? it it's so easy and mellow.
2: It know? is. And I think, again, you use the word not high, where it's not high in alcohol. And we, you know, another another thing that, you know, cheese and wine pairing 101 is watching the alcohol.
3: Yeah.
2: It's one of the reasons why, you know, I've always been the big beer and cheese person because you can go with some really nice beers that are more around 8.5% or so. You don't have to, you know, but um, wine, you can get into the scary numbers. Scary numbers. And, um, and that can just destroy any of the nuances of a cheese. Um, but this one, this one is really nice. It is really light and it's so, a red. Yeah, yep. So, so a
3: easier and juicy, you know, and it, yeah. compares with, it could pair with so many different things. Yeah. a uh, A Epoisse. Epoisse,
2: Epoisse, yes. So, okay, <laughs> so let's, so we're moving on from that Chardonnay um, option as your opening bid. <laughs> um, and we're moving on to those stinkers, um, Epoisse. Telegio, Um, and then we have some really great American, uh, wash rinds. I always love using Grayson from Meadow Creek Dairy, um, because it has, you know, some of that beefiness, that meatiness. There's some really great wash rinds being made in the United States right now. Um, so I could definitely see what it, so this is a Spanish Grenache you said.
3: Spanish Grenache. Uh,
2: Um, and, uh, what else do you like to pair with a Poise?
3: my God, there's so many, I, you know, I'm, I i do not go country to country, you know, a poise is French, obviously.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, I don't, you know, it would be great with a burgundy, you know, a red burgundy. I love red burgundy as well for the natural, um, the simplistic way in which it's made, they ferment, they pick, they squeeze, they ferment, they leave it in neutral barrels and they put it in bottle and you get a vintage and you get a place. I and mean, that's what is so appealing to me about Burgundy. I love the uh, the lack of attention to it because they pick it when it's ripe and they ferment it and they bottle it. And I love the cranberry notes in it. I love the flavors that, uh, that interplay with it because it's earthy. It's an old, you know, typically an old world style wine unless you're getting a ripe vintage like 2018. Um, but I do love Burgundy with a lot of cheeses. And is definitely one of them. Uh, and I. And I was just backing up to the, when you said stinky cheese, up to the stinky cheeses. I love, is it, a, is, is it a question of age or is it a question of understanding what your palate is all about, Jessica? Because when I was a kid, people used to say, oh, this, this you're going to hate this. <laughs> it smells awful. And I, I'm not going to use all the phrases that they smell like right. this and that. But now I really, really like the smellier, you know, the stuff. Taleggio, oh, my God. I mean, I can make a pizza with telegio and be Mm -hmm. very, very happy with that. Right. Is it a question of age? No,
2: I think it's, first of all, I think it's um, bad advertising (laughs) that when um, we were growing up, and I, I think kids today are growing up with a different appreciation of food and especially how smell, scent interacts with flavor. Um, but we grew up being told that things that smelled strongly were not for kids, right? That we wouldn't like it because of the way it smelled. And the truth is that when you taste a Quas, when you taste any cheese that's that strong-scented, um, a lot of times it's actually a very buttery, um, very delicious. Yeah, there is nothing um, off-putting about it. And understanding also what contributes to that scent is part of the appreciation of this amazing cheese. And it's funny because before we started talking for this interview, you gave me a glass of a natural wine that... Went through a variety of different smells um, while I was sitting here, you you know, every few seconds you were like, what do you smell now? What do you taste now? What do you taste now? Because it kept changing and developing. And I mean, that's part of the experience of enjoyment for wine and cheese. And so I think I think part of it is just, you know, appreciating this multidimensional, multisensory experience of eating I think if you had had telegio pizza when you were a kid, you would have loved it. But somebody told you you wouldn't because it's... It smells. Because it smells strongly. Yeah, it smells strongly. You know? Um, I think we do a big disservice when we tell kids, oh, you're not going to like it. Um, But, yeah. Uh, I have a
3: quick question for you about about cheese rinds. Uh Uh-huh. I typically rarely take the rind off of the cheese unless mm-hmm. it's got wax in it. I love all of the, the way the cheese is meant to taste. Right. And when you go to a party and people start to dig into it like a brie, they'll, they'll still dig out the brie <laughs> yes. and leave the, the, you know, the rind. Yeah. And they'll leave the rinds all behind. And I'm say that's part of the experience of eating it. It's mm-hmm. like, and it, it, it. I feel like people are missing that. Right. And I love, I love the whole experience of, you know, hmm, I will very often take the rinds off and eat them by themselves just yeah. so I can taste what they taste like.
2: Yeah.
3: And my dogs love Parmesan cheese rinds. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, 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 they wait for me when I'm, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, making something at, at the house that they, I open up their refrigerator and they, they hear the refrigerator door opening up where the cheeses are and they stand there like, okay. And they're all, they, <laughs> they, they fight over the, the cheese rinds right. except for me because I eat the cheese rinds too. Yeah. But, don't you feel the same way, kind of? I mean, yeah. what, what cheese rinds don't you like to eat, except for the ones that have? Um,
2: I, I the guess. only.
3: This is that's an interesting one.
2: Yeah, that's a, a wedge of Comte. Which actually, if I am not mistaken, it may be time for us to take oh. a break for a word from our sponsor, which is Comte. So um, we're going to pause for nicely done there. We're going to pause for um, a minute or so and, um, and hear from our sponsors and come back with Dope Prince. This
1: episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté Cheese Association represents the Comté PDO, Comté Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Comté is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte. An iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com.
2: And we're back at Cutting the Curd with my guest today, Joe Prince. He is the uh, owner of Grape Divine, a wine shop in Spark Hill, New York. And it's right next door to Divine Bar, which is a pretty amazing restaurant. If you ever find yourself in Rockland County, you just definitely check out both places. And we were just talking about wine and cheese pairings for the holidays and trying to think a little bit outside the box uh, for pairings. Um, you know, we've already talked about... Chardonnay as a possibility. We talked about Grenache, we've talked about Burgundy, um, and we're talking a little bit about what, you know, the way we approach flavor and, and smell with cheese and wine. Um, another, uh, I really want to make sure we address this. Another, another crazy mind-blowing experience for me, um, because there was a time when I really didn't know very much (laughs) about wine and cheese was the first time I actually ever met you, Joe was in your old location. And I came in because I was doing a private event at a country club, a wine and cheese pairing event with a very discerning wine committee. Um, And you turned me on to a sparkling red and I had never had a sparkling red before. I think it was a actually one from Australia. But since then, you've turned me on to the world of Mm -hmm. Lambrusco. And I, you know, there was a time when I thought champagne was, was the, you know, the, the thing, the go-to. Then I got introduced to Cava. Mm -hmm. Then I got introduced to Prosecco. Now, all of a sudden, I'm all about the Lambrusco. Mm -hmm. Like, can you talk a little bit about why you love Lambrusco so much and why does it keep coming up every time we do these wine and cheese events?
3: Oh, Lambrusco, uh, unfortunately, when I was a kid growing up, there was a brand that that I'm not gonna disparage, but it was all over the um, television when they could still advertise for alcohol on television. And, you know, it it kind of, in my mind, I was, you know, I had heard it so much that when I tried it, I was like, yuck, I didn't like it at all. But over time, um, winemaking has evolved uh, and everything has changed. For the better everything has kind of grown up winemaking they've discovered that you know you, you cut you, you prune the grapes um to shade this shade the grapes from the sun uh, at, you know from three o'clock on because that's where the heat is just as an example to not to digress but um there's there have been a lot there's leaps and bounds in winemaking since the 70s when i was kind of a kid um but this grape, the Gasparilla grape, it comes in so many different um, expressions. There are the fruity kind. There are the. There's dry. There's white. There's rosé. And I have really embraced them all because it's really kind of in the hands of the winemaker. And I love how they express this grape individually. I like how the um, the, the the whites have take on a little champagne note. You know, typically there's a, may I mention the name of somebody, of a wine? Go for it. makes a really delicious rosé and white uh, Lambrusco. And I truly love what they make. Um, uh, I just got um, a text today uh, uh, from one of my uh, wholesalers who says this, this particular new Lambrusco just got 95 points, which I'm going to order and bring into the store um, for the holidays. But this is typically... I got turned on to it a long, long time ago, uh, after I got over the uh, the shock of what uh, what it could be, uh, having lunch with an Italian friend of mine. And he just laid out some very simple prosciutto and some um, Parmesan cheese and, uh, and a number of other Italian cheeses. And he pulled the cork on this off-dry Lambrusco. And he said, uh, have you ever had Lambrusco? And I was like, mm-hmm yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, kind of. And it's, it, and I poured the, this into my glass and it was just, a, it was a completely different experience. Um, again, it was off dry, had a little fruit to it, but the back end of it tasted like a really great Italian red wine. And when the bubbles were gone, it was just, it was so expressive. I loved, I loved drinking it. And uh, I recommend it to a lot of people and it's caught fire recently in the last uh two years, um, more and more people coming in and asking for it. Well, and a lot more people are food and wine savvy. The New York Times writes about something. The next day, everybody's walking into the store to say, do you have such and such Mm -hmm. and such and such and such? And, you know, when they did their whole, many years ago, to digress one more time, they did a whole article about rosé. And up until that article, everybody compared it with this white Zinfandel. And they said, rosé is not white Zinfandel. You must try X, Y, and Z, all these, you know, different makers. And the next week in my store, people walked in. It was like the floodgates had opened for rosé. Everybody wanted rosé suddenly. And it just, that was the, it was the defining moment. I think it was like 2003 or four. when everybody changed. So Lambrusco to me now, is the, the, it's the, it's the, it's the Sunday afternoon, easygoing, make some focaccia, have a little, uh, uh, lambrusco, you have some preserved meats and some great cheeses, and a little salad. You know, and uh, and your day is your day is solid. It's just beautiful wine, right? And unsung until recently. So,
2: would you would you say go for it on New Year's or Christmas? And oh, I mean, yeah. I I'm fully on board.
3: Well, with, I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Thanksgiving. I sold a lot for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recommended all though We have red, white, and rosé here. And and, and everybody enjoyed, everybody has, you know, responded by saying, can we get some more of that? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, that tells me I've done my job well when they've come back and asked for it again.
2: Right, right. Is there an American equivalent?
3: (laughs) I can't think of a sparkling red right now um, that's American, um, that but we should capitalize on it there's there's no reason we you know there's you know get get uh, the, the veneto growing region area somewhere right here uh, but unfortunately it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter um so it's going to be difficult to uh, to find a, grow, a grape growing region that can make Lent brusco mm-hmm. but uh, i wish there were because i'd subscribe to it but in italy it's a vernaccia that comes very close to the Lambrusco. And it's a red Vernaccia, but it's made of, oddly enough, it's made of, of, uh, it's made from Garnacha, but it tastes like Lambrusco. That's what I'm trying to say. And um, it's really rich and fruity. And then the end is dry. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's surprising because you think you've nailed this when you put it in your mouth and you think, wow, this is going to be a total fruit bomb. And what turns into uh, something quite Beautiful and layered, and um, you know finishes just beautifully. Um, that's that's what I, I like to be surprised with wine. I right. like I like when a wine smells like it's going to throw you. Com- you get you, your your mouth is expecting to taste this, and you put it in your mouth, and you're like, wow, that was not what I was expecting at all. Right. That's what I love. That's kind of what natural wines have have done because you smell them, you, you try them, the, the uh, uh, extra contact. Uh, white wines, the, the skin contact white wines, you know, stay in the leads for a day or two or three or four or five or three weeks or four weeks. And then uh, it changes. Um, it, it, in your, you were saying it smelled like ham. Um, uh, to me, it smelled a little bit like tangerine at first, but the wine changes and evolves as you are. Mm-hmm. Sipping it, And that's kind of what I like about the natural wines because they it's not what you would expect and it's always changing.
2: So how do you pair something that's always changing with food that's kind of staying the way it is when it reaches your
3: plate? Right. Well, <laughs> you have to open it. I tell people all the time, open it early, open it early and it'll arrive at this flavor toward the end. Ah, and that's in, in what I'm tasting. It's a professional, you know, wine, um, store owner. Uh, a lot of the times the wine will arrive to me from the wine rep, uh, and it's been open for 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours. So it's breathed. It's had time to, you know, express itself completely. So they come and pour it for me if the bottle is open and I take a big sniff in the glass. And it's, wow, it's, it's really delicious and I really get it. So I'll, friends of mine will come over and I'll uncork it and I'll pour it into their glasses and it smells nothing like the wine that I recalled. And I'm scratching my head in, in 45 minutes or half an hour, or even 15 minutes later, the wine completely changes. And that's the most interesting part of wine for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: how it evolves
2: right and
3: i love i love how it how it changes in your glass in five minutes ten minutes an hour and i had kind of a rule of thumb for uh older wines if they're more than uh if if they're 20 years old i like to put them uh and the, open them up and let them breathe for five minutes for every year it's been in the bottle
2: Wow, and okay. it really
3: does because it's really been—it clo- hasn't had it taken a breath for 20 years or 15 years or however long these wines are. So that's kind of my rule of thumb. But when they get really old, they lose a lot of their fruit, and you pretty much have to pour them in a glass and taste them over time because they—they don't—they um, don't—they don't hold their fruit content as long, you know, because they're—they're old, they're much mm-hmm. older. But that's kind of my simple rule of thumb: five minutes for every year to has the bottle. Right. It really kind of opens up at that point.
2: So what wines, um, and cheese are you looking forward to enjoying this over the next, like six weeks when all we're doing is eating, (laughs) eating with people, cooking, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to, you know, capture the holiday
3: spirit. I love, I, I, you know, I love anything that goes with white burgundy, red burgundy, um, and Nebbiolo.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I like um, again. I like the epoisse. I love Parmesan cheese, uh, three or four year old Parmesan cheese when it cracks when you when you go into it and it just does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the stronger cheeses. I love Comte. Actually, yeah, this a, one. This one is. Uh,
2: this one's got a lot of those amazing crystals in it, so it's it's kind of crunchy. Uh, um, and you know. That not unlike what you were saying about wine, you know, over time, this, this keeps changing, mm. you
3: know? And what is the Dutch cheese that, that, that well, Gouda? We, Gouda. oh, the aged goudas mm-hmm. with, all the, that, with all the protein rinds that taste yep. salt, the, the, the protein bit to taste like salt. I love that. Those are my favorite cheeses. really hard. And actually they say the harder the cheese, the better it is for you. Mm-hmm. Right. They've lost a lot of its fat content. No,
2: it's lost a lot of its water content.
3: Water content. Oh, yeah. it's still fat. Oh,
2: it's oh, like, it's, it's yeah, it's fat. like, yeah, fat and dry matter is
3: how we. Ah, fat and dry matter. Yeah. I love so, it. This is delish.
2: Yeah, it is really
3: good. Wow, very, <laughs> it's, it's it's nutty. And I would have I would have a cheese that, there's a, a wine that we have downstairs in the southwest of France that um, I love. And it's called Pacherenc. Mm -hmm. And the wine, it's typically made in a dessert style. But this particular wine is nutty, just like this. Mm -hmm. And um, I also love old, I love old um, Chenin Blancs. Mm -hmm. I think those are great with Comte.
2: So I I have a question. It's kind of wine adjacent. And that's vermouth. So vermouth seems to be having a moment. And... um, you carry quite a number of types of vermouth, um, brands of vermouth. What's up with vermouth? Because I only know it as like, okay, I'm going to show my naivete here. I only know it as an ingredient in Italian cocktails. So, <laughs> okay. but recently I was in the shop and, and one of your colleagues uh, gave me a taste of one straight up. I've never had anything like it.
3: I love I think vermouth um, is now catching fire. Again, I think vermouth is, is an unsung. It's a misunderstood unless you're in Spain or in France or the Europeans have figured it out a little bit before we have. It's an interesting way to mix herbs and fruits together and wine obviously to make a, a very unique flavor profile that does. A lot of people have this as an aperitif in, in Spain and in Italy. And I, I absolutely love uh, vermouth, plain vermouth as an aperitif. Um, there is a, a wine of, of vermouth now um, called Method that we uh, absolutely love. It was a, It was the, uh, Danny Meyer tasked the guys who were the bartenders at the um, Gramercy Tavern and who worked for him down in, uh, down in the city. And they came up with this absolutely perfect sweet vermouth, a Torino style sweet vermouth. And that's all we like to drink anymore. Is this? I just I love this. It's a little fruitier for most people, but it's quite good. Um, there, we have um, fr- uh, five or six kinds of French vermouth. We have sp- Greek vermouth. We have span. We have four Spanish vermouths at this at this point, and they're all slightly different, but they're all delicious. I t- make sure I taste everything in the store before we put it on the shelf, mm-hmm. and they're all unique. And most of the staff can describe exactly what it tastes like. I right. love, I love vermouth. And I also like it in bourbon. I like it in bourbon and I like it in the uh, in Negroni. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But in,
2: but in a bourbon, that actually I can kind of see that, like the smokiness and the fruitiness mm-hmm. kind of going together. I mean, there was something a little syrupy about the vermouth Mm -hmm. it almost made me think of like i could pair that with a blue cheese with like a spicy blue or something a little earthy um
3: oh spicy blue cheese yeah i mean there
2: there comes a point when you've eaten when you know we always say like what's the best way to learn about cheese and what's the best way to learn about wine and it's just taste 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 Mm -hmm. right and there gets to be a point where you can do it almost feels like you can do pairings Blindly, Like, you don't need to sit and, and compa- like, oh, okay, let's test out these and see which one's going to go with this thing. Once you kind of get the characteristics of something down, you can pretty much know, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's going to go well with, a, et cetera, et cetera, which is what is so interesting about doing wine and cheese pairings and even and what a great thing to do over the holidays. You're together with your friends, and especially if we're not ready to go back to large gatherings, but you just have, like, six or 10 people around it and you just create a flight Mm -hmm. and just
3: nobody's wrong
2: nobody's wrong everybody's right nobody's everybody's right (laughs) The,
3: the artwork assignment is beautiful yeah so back i just want to tell you one funny story many you know back in 2002 um i was doing wine tastings in my old store and i realized that this fabulous champagne that i had discovered would go as well with caviar as it would with a twinkie so, I bought some caviar. I had 10 people in the store, and we had caviar and a little potato with some uh, creme fraiche. And I opened some Twinkies, and they went, it was perfect because Twinkies, yuck. But with the champagne, it somehow elevated the whole Twinkie uh, option. And obviously, champagne and caviar go really well together. And people were like, What? What do you want, Twinkies? And they were all very impressed with how well they went together <laughs> <laughs>
2: so okay so we all need to get twinkies and, and on our boards and, and champagne, and champagne. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i can't i can't think of what cheese would go with that with, yeah. with twinkies and champagne. <laughs> i'm stumped <laughs> if you give me a little bit of time i think i could probably figure it
3: out stump the curd lady
2: nice. i don't yeah very nice. i don't know man but i do think Uh, You know, when you were talking about the vermouth and you mentioned there were ones from Greece, I could totally see that with a a lot of those Greek cheeses, Mm -hmm. especially like the grilling ones. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, just. Yeah, definitely. I could see that.
3: We have one downstairs that's pink and it's uh, it's called Otto and it is stained with beets. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets its pink from. Mm -hmm. But it is flavorful and fruity and so many herbs in this. It's. Remarkably delicious. Right. Love, you know, again, before dinner, after dinner, in a, in a drink, vermouth is honestly um, getting great steam right now.
2: So um, just wanted to check in about availability right now, um, because, you know, we all hear about all of the delays and the distribution backups, which seem to be easing. How, how are things looking going into the holidays for you?
3: Well, the obvious um, champagnes that I was trying to bring in, they advised uh, to bring them in much earlier than I uh, did, unfortunately. So I was um, out of luck with several of the well-known names that people asked for, but we specialize in the things that uh, people don't know. <laughs> so we find these, you know, offbeat champagnes that we absolutely love. So we are we are, we are good with champagne and we've had a little bit of, um, uh, of a hiccup with wine from new zealand mm-hmm. uh getting in on the boats um and from and slovenia uh, believe it or not I have a nice selection of slovenian wines and they still haven't arrived and they were ordered uh, in september wow so they're still in the boat somewhere right uh, so that unfortunately i'll have to wait until february to bring those in but there is definitely a supply issue um but i'm only tasting wines and bringing wines in that they have uh, uh, plenty of.
2: Right. So, and what about, what about wines from the United States? The, Anything you gravitating towards right now
3: or? I like, I like uh, upstate New York uh, Rieslings. Uh, I like, uh, I like, um, I like Oregon wines a lot. I like Pinot Noirs from Oregon. I like Pinot Gris from Oregon. Um, I have uh, friends of mine making wine in Texas. 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 Okay. Texas. Yeah uh California Cabernets are uh, this 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 is a this is a sad story California Cabernets are not getting enough water they're getting too much heat they're getting too much fire they're getting too many things that will eventually change the way you know winemaking is done out there because they've had to use secondary use water to water the um the grapes Mm -hmm. and you know i made a joke i said you know when these wines start tasting like poo poo we, well we understand why because the water has been coming from you know right toilets right. basically to water this so there's there's it's very hot now and there's not enough water to water everything out there as we all understand um so that's that's whole winemaking system is going to have to change out there unfortunately mm-hmm. but oregon still yeah, there are fires in oregon but um they're more, a little bit more nuanced. I like a little softer, more delicate wines. I don't like wines that are super high in alcohol. I like them lower in alcohol so I can have a conversation and finish the bottle of wine and continue to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking.
3: Right. with. We have to do this again.
2: Yes, we do have to do this again. Um, and as I always find when I when I do one of these uh, interviews is that it just like leads to so many other topics that we can delve into, but I'm hoping that some people, you know, listening kind of, you know, take some of the things you said as an opportunity to explore some different pairings beyond the Sauvignon Blancs and Pinot Grigios and the Pinot Noirs. I think there's, you know, there's, like you said, there's no real wrong answer. You know, you just got to experiment and, um, and find a really great wine shop.
3: Yay! Thank you. It's yeah. true,
2: right? That's, like that's true. wine I mean, shops, cheese shops. Right. You know, we need our we need some. our mongers of all of all
3: our lovers and our mongers, our
2: purveyors and mongers of all of the ancient foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but and happy holidays.
3: Yeah, and happy holidays.
2: And for everybody out there, um, you know, we always check out our Instagram page and the Heritage Radio Network website, and um, we look forward to seeing you again.